there have been times where I've been offered like, hey, do you want to do an ad, you know, be like a- Right, a voice for, for gambling thing, yeah, gambling, yeah. You know, you're, you're the Brooklyn guy and you, you want to, and my dad's always thing was, he was like, I never, ever, ever want you to even learn about sports gambling. Wow. I don't want you to know what a spread means. I don't want you to know what the VIG is. So all my friends who are doing this gambling every weekend of football, yeah. it's like genuinely a foreign language, those in cards. Like if you could put out a deck of cards in front of me right now, I would have no idea what spades or clubs, I don't know, because that was his one promise to me. He's like, I, he was like, I really don't even care if you do heroin. Just do not, do not get involved in gambling. It ruined my life. So it, you know, he's a bad advice about heroin, though. Yes, true. Yeah, I know. <laughs> he's wrong. He's wrong. Yeah, heroin's really bad. <laughs> I know. All right, I won't, I'll make a note. Be, it needs to be me telling you yes. right now. Yes. Do not try heroin. <laughs> that is the voice of Chris DiStefano. Chris is—he's uh, a comic that I've known from the Comedy Teller here in New York for years and years and years. Uh, we talk about this today on the show, but he has had one of the most extreme comedy trajectories. Like he's just blown up and I'm thrilled for him. He's very funny, he's got tons of jokes, he's got tons of stories, but then also he's just, you kind of get a sense of who he is and he can kind of speak as himself. And I think long-term he's looking to maybe develop something that has uh, an even more kind of personal uh, bent to it, and um, I think it's really cool. I'm really excited to see sort of where it all goes. He's on tour all over the place right now. He's in London, Liverpool, Dublin, uh, Terrytown, New York, Dubai. I mean, the guy is just everywhere. I've seen him perform live. He's an incredible live performer. I highly recommend seeing him if he is coming to your town. Meanwhile, I am also out on tour with an all-new hour of comedy. I'll be in Jacksonville, Florida, Orlando, Aspen, Colorado, Beaver Creek, Colorado, Fort Collins, Denver, Tulsa, Dallas, Houston, Austin, San Antonio. We added a third show in Chicago at the Chicago Theater, Los Angeles, Troy, New York, Rochester, New York. We're just about to add another show in Toronto, like a, probably a fourth and final show in Toronto. By the way, join the mailing list because you'll be the first to know about when we do stuff like that. Like, for example, we're going to add a show in Washington, D.C. The first people to know will be the people on the on the mailing list and here, here on the podcast. So I'll be in Toronto, St. Petersburg, Florida, Miami Beach, Florida, Atlanta, Charlotte, Richmond, Niagara Falls, which I've never performed in Niagara Falls at the OLG stage at Fallsview Casino. And then this summer, in July, I'm gonna be at this adorable, gorgeous little theater that I love in the Hamptons um, called the Bay Street Theater. It's in Sag Harbor, New York, Bay Street Theater. I actually performed there a bunch in the last few years. It is a blast and it's just gorgeous and it's like intimate and it was, yeah, I've had some great times there. So all of that's on burbigs.com, join the mailing list. But today on the show, we have Christy Stefano. Chris has a ton of energy. We talk about the importance of failure as well as success, how failure played into his first Letterman appearance. That's a fascinating story. We talk about being parents. He's, he's a parent as well, how that affects creativity. He's got great perspectives on that. He also talks about the time a mobster almost killed him. So <laughs> there's, there's that. That's the tease. And if you like him here on the podcast, you should watch his Netflix special, which is called Speshy Weshy. It's really funny. He filmed, one of the funniest things about that special we didn't even talk about on the episode is that he filmed it on his own. I think he financed it on his own. And then he says at the end of the special, uh, thanks for supporting me. This this is not going to be on Netflix or any of the other streamers. And then I'm, I'm watching it on Netflix. So clearly something happened and there's no explanation of it. But it's, it's a special that makes me laugh really hard. Enjoy my conversation with the great Chris DiStefano. Were it not for the comedy seller, I don't think you and I would be friends. Mm -hmm. I don't think we'd be necessarily friends with Mateo or Jesse Kirsten or Schultz or like a lot of the, uh, John Lasser or like a lot of these people. Right. But it's, I think it's the way they curate the shows there. Yeah. They curate shows where a bunch of comedians are not similar to each other at all. What they have in common is they kill. 
Right. Yeah. And I feel like I always know now, no matter what, like if my family's not home or if sometimes they'll like go away for the weekend, wife's parents' house, whatever, I'm like, I can just go to the comedy cellar and just sit and my friends will be there. Yeah. You know, my friends from home are great, but a lot of times they just want to drink and chill in the same bar. And it's like, which is good. Sometimes I love to do that too. But sometimes, and I'm like, you know what? I kind of just want to sit and be around people and not really have to say anything, but like kind of learn. Yeah. I go to the comedy cellar. That's interesting. And I just sit and listen. And I'm just like, you know, whatever, chime in if I can. But I'm like, oh, I feel like smart. I almost feel like sometimes you just go sit at the comedy cellar and either watch the other comics or just listen to their convo. It's like, you're doing the work. You're doing the work for your art. You're kind of like getting, you're getting better. Like, I feel like I took a step forward just sitting there. I feel like, when did you start hanging out there? Like 10 years ago? I got in there. So I got into the Comedy Cellar in 2014. Okay. okay? From 2014 till early 2017, in nearly three calendar years, I got five spots total. No and I sent in my Wait, availability. When to when? Every single week from about early 2000, from like mid 2014 to early 2017. So two and a half. Yeah. So funny. Every weekend, so like like a ro like a psycho. Like explain avails though, because uh, it's like it's it's time consuming. Okay, so now it's email. Back then, you would have to call the comedy club, the very notorious booker SD of the comedy seller's book there for the Be last third. Beloved, beloved. Also, in my dreams, I'm afraid of her. Yes. She knows this about yes. me. Yes, yes. I, I, you, you know, she, she's got like. Anybody you've ever heard of in comedy, yeah. she's booked, right? And she's Chris booked Rock, Ray Romano, Seinfeld, nobody, on and on. Right, on and on. So like the, the key, right, to the, to the New York City comedy scene. So you get in, the way it used to work is you needed one or two comedians who were already performing at that club to vouch for you. And back then, the only people who were performing at the Comedy Cellar were almost like bona fide celebrity comedians. You had to have all these credits and whatever. So my guy was Artie Lang. Artie Lang, of course, super famous from Howard Stern show sure. for years and years. Has had a serious drug problem, mm -hmm. very serious, almost killed him. Yep. Seems to be doing okay. He's doing okay now. Yep, he's, 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 he's back, you know, um, I think gonna start to make a comeback here pretty soon. But he, I was at Caroline's and I was just, somebody didn't show up. And Louis Ferranda, who's, you know, uh, the booker of Caroline's, was I would just hang around like a comedy club rat, right? Like I was just there, I would yeah. host for him, I would just be there, I was like brand new at comedy. And he was like, Stefano, go up there. So I went up there and I wasn't necessarily <laughs> funny yet, right? But I was doing the things like that I thought were funny from the things I had seen in my neighborhood, you know, growing up, like, you know, start make fun of somebody's shirt, like, look at this asshole. And like, you know, things like that, that Artie Lang is from similar. Artie's from Jersey. Yeah. I was from Brooklyn, but it's very similar. So he straight up told me after, he was like, listen, you don't, you, I think you have something. You don't have the jokes yet. He's like, why don't you come on the road with me? I think my crowds will like you and you can watch me and get better and you'll get your first shot at the road. So my very first show, I go out to 2,500 people at the uh, Count Basie Theater. So yeah, whatever that Jersey, is. Jersey, yeah. Humongous place. Yeah. I go out there and Artie, it says, just go out there, do five minutes, bring me up. It was a two-man show. Do five minutes, bring me up. So I'm like, okay. I mean, I've never performed for more than 20 people. I walk out, I'm wearing a purple shirt, like a purple button-down shirt, jeans, shoes. So packed house from like the last row, somebody goes, nice shirt, pussy. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> Crushes, <laughs> right? People are like, ah, you know? And then people start heckling me and I'm just starting, I don't have the chops yet. Oh so God. I'm like, I'm like, you know, you guys ever go to England? <laughs> like, you know, you know, like <laughs> I had this whole bit about how English is not really English, right? And just a bombing. Right, yeah. I get maybe 90 seconds in, already comes over the voice of God, Mike. In, in the background, he comes over, he goes, leave him alone, guys, leave him alone. He's a good kid. And then people start cheering because they hear Artie's voice. And then I swear, so I could see him, you know, behind the curtain, you know, like I see him and then he goes, just come off. So he goes, yeah, he goes, he goes, all right. I'm coming up, fuckers. <laughs> and then walks out and they go crazy. <laughs> and, oh my God. Yeah. No. Yes. And and Artie killed. And then literally we went 
took me out for pizza. We went. Oh, he was like, God. this is what happens on the road. Don't worry about it. And then he just was like, next time that happens, though, you have a, you have a comeback immediately. He was like, it's almost like if you say anything back, you'll be in charge because you're the one with the microphone. But I just said nothing. Like, I almost said, give it up for that guy. That was a good one. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> give it up for that guy. That's a good one. Yeah. Wait, hold on. So this is like a thing where one time I... I said to Liz, one of the managers of the Comedy Cellar, I go, who you love, right? If love Liz. She's great. She's great. Either you're, either you're, either Liz is on your side or she's not. And, <laughs> and she is on our side, thankfully. <laughs> so, so she's great. I think she has great taste. And I said to her once, I go like, who is, because I'm obsessed with this as a concept. I go, who wasn't funny and now is great. She goes, Chris is definitely number one ever. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. That's nice. Like, didn't have it, yeah. ha has it times a million. I appreciate and, that. But you know what she said? She had an addendum. She goes, it's because he had kids. Mm. Yeah. Do you think that's true? I do. I think that's true. And I think that I, I think having my child, but I think as equal is the failure that I experienced in the business, like constantly failing, going after stuff that tra traditional industry yeah. want a sitcom a comedy special, a late night set. I did these things. I did yeah. the sitcom pilot, it failed. Yeah. I did the comedy specials and the late night sets. They came and went, nobody cared. Yeah. And then I have my kid and I'm like, you know, upset I'm not on uh, Variety's top 10 comics to watch list or something. And I have this three month old baby and I'm talking to Jasmine, my wife, girlfriend. And I'm like, you know, like I didn't get on this list. And she was like, this list and these lists are not gonna pay for our baby's food. Yeah. She was like, who cares about the list? She was like, what you need to do is put your career in the hands of your fans. She was like, I I'm not from this industry. Every time you introduce me to one of these executives, they sound like a fucking idiot to me. <laughs> she was like, I know for a fact they have no idea what they're talking about. And half the time they're telling you what's funny. And she like names her name. She goes, I know that motherfucker ain't funny. Cause she's a yeah. Puerto Rican girl from Sunset Park. So she's just very raw. She's yeah. like, I know that motherfucker wasn't the class clown. Yeah. I know he wasn't. So you need to start to, th you're, you are in charge. And yeah. she's like, and you're in charge of this family. And you've now decided to quit your physical therapy job yeah. and go all in with comedy. Well, now we have our daughter. So you need to do something. She was like, you know, I hear you talking to Mike Cannon who's one of my best friends. And we, we host my, co-host my podcast with me now. She was like, you know, you'll talk for an hour to Mike about who's on the list and why you're not, and you're not writing jokes. She was like, what about going downstairs and Ooh. doing something? You know, she was like, even mentioned the comedy seller. She's like, you talk about the comedy seller, you're never there. They don't book you. Wow. And I, I initially, I was taken as like, she doesn't understand my process, and maybe she's not the right girl for me, yeah. and she doesn't understand shit, and she's not a comic, and she didn't even go to college, and all these things. Right. You know, and then when, I, when the kind of settled down at night, I was like, Yo, she's fucking right. Yeah. Like you can't imagine she's right. So I was like, the fundamental difference came then. I said, I'm not putting my career in the hands of the industry anymore. Yeah. I said, I'm gonna put it, I'm gonna put it in the hands of my fans. Yeah. And I said, so I'm gonna and I'm gonna control my output and not care about my outcome. I was, my father would always say that to me since I was a little kid. He would always say, it's all about your output, not your outcome. This world, America, this country's focus on outcomes. It's yeah. all about your output. That's yeah. the thing that matters. Yeah. Cause my father failed a lot too. He was like, I was always controlling the outcome and look at how much I fucked my life up. You can't control the outcome. He was like, I wish I would have just controlled my effort. That's and right. so I want you as my son. So I started to do that. And I started to say, you know what? Maybe I am funny. Maybe I do know these things. Cause I was always felt like an imposter. Yeah. And then. And then luck though happens, right? Because then I was in there, I started to get one or two more spots more in the comedy cellar, but late, 11.50, 1 a.m., nobody saw it. Yeah. And then I got, I was just up there, you know, at the Olive Tree Cafe, sitting at the, at the table and somebody canceled their spot. I yeah. was there, I had 11 o'clock spot, but I was there at seven o'clock. Yeah. I was writing, you know, eating the chicken wings, whatever. I was just there in my, what I thought was my office and somebody canceled their spot last minute and they didn't have a comic. So I went up at like, call it 8.30. And as I'm up on the McDougal Street stage, the main one, Gnome, the owner of the club, yeah. was walking to the bathroom. And I had hit on a big laugh on something. Yeah. And I saw him stop <laughs> and look at me and start watching me. And he stayed for my whole set. And then I kind of felt his eyes on me. So I was like, you need to like, but I think you have a chance here. So you need to like 
go do your A material. I had a plan of like oh, doing crowd work. I was like out the window, yeah, yeah. go do this, your David Letterman set, wow. like go do that. And so I did it and it hit harder and harder. And then went upstairs, didn't hear anything. Like I thought, whatever, it just came and went, but I was thinking, well, I control my effort. I had a good effort in front of the owner, whatever. <sighs> Next thing you know, I call in for my spots. I get like 10 of them, which I had never gotten like 10. And then I'm just- This is like your Rudy moment. <laughs> yeah. And then I'm just in, and then it's Noam talking to me, Esty, Liz, for yeah. the first time being like, uh, you know, do you want more spots? My God, what? is this 2017? This is 2017. And no, it's not like they ever said you, not like they ever said- No, they didn't changed. It's just, little, yeah. nobody said anything to me. Nobody ever said, Liz never said what she told, she never told me that, it just, things changed. So then I started to go up and up and move, and then, I finally felt like, holy shit, the first time I ever sold out was Hilarities in Cleveland. In Cleveland I had yeah. sold out the weekend finally. And that was the last weekend of February, 2020. <laughs> so I had a whole tour being sold out and then bang, the pandemic. Wow. And so I was like, I thought I was gonna get it. I have this sold out rooms. The next yeah. thing was looking like, Pittsburgh looked like it was on its way to sell out. I had shows in Detroit, they were gonna sell out, all canceled. Yeah. Pandemic. So I said, okay, now what? Because I, I, I was like, who knows when the world's coming back? Some, initially they were saying comedy won't be back for years and whatever. And I said, I was doing podcast history hyenas at the time yep. with Giannis Pappas. And I said, him and I spoke and I was like, yo, we got the whole like world is at their computer right now. Yeah. And it was Giannis's idea. He was like, we should start doing our podcast every single day. And I was like, <laughs> let's do it. And then it became, a lot of our peers or like people in other industries yeah. start to like sink in the pandemic, but I start to go up. Yeah. I started to, and so by the time the pandemic came out, I went from selling out 400 seats to next thing you know, the Beacon's 2000 seats sold out. And it all happened in those few months with the pandemic. But the one thing I've learned is, I'm bringing this all up to say is like, and I tell my daughters this, is like, the movies are not real, life is real. So right. in the movies, there's a triumphant scene and somebody says something and then your life changes. That doesn't happen. It all happens very, very slowly. Yeah. And all of a sudden you wake up and you're like, oh shit, these goals that I didn't even know that I was reaching for are being reached. And then you can get used to success and not think you're doing as well as you were because you've grown so much. So then when you get to a certain place, you have to know how to say, well, now I'm in like a maintenance phase and now I've kind of reached a lot of these goals. Yeah. So I gotta be happy with what I have. And I gotta think about everything I do have, not th worrying about the things I don't have. Yeah. yeah. Cause then the goalpost just, it keeps moving. So I'm like at a place now where I have everything that I want. And if, yeah. you, ask, if, you, if you let me push a button and say, Chris, this will be the, your life for the next 20 years, you will not get any higher and you won't get any lower. I would push it immediately because I feel like I'm at exactly where I need to be and I don't have this like yearning for more. Yeah, you and I have this thing in common. You were saying that Jasmine encouraged you to like not look at the lists and all that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah, Jenny was similar. Like Jenny and I met 20 years ago. She saw like an early version of Sleepwalk with me and she saw, which at the time was just like a solo show like at UCB mm -hmm. at like 5.30s on Tuesdays. You know what I mean? Like nobody was in the audience, like nobody. Right. And she saw me do my comedy specials on Comedy Central. And she was like, the sleepwalk with me thing is just more interesting. Mm -hmm. It's more you, it's more unique, it's more original. It made no money. You know what I mean? Like I, I would perform for free. Mm -hmm. And whereas the Comedy Central version of myself was profitable. But she was like, and and I and the reason I bring it up is that I think sometimes it takes someone who you implicitly respect, love, and trust to say to you, here's the here's the truth. Right. The truth is you should be doing this thing, even though it seems like you should be doing this thing. Right. I think who you are, I mean, this is like who you're in love with is oddly as influential as anything in your life. To me, love is like the only actual real power and currency there is. Everything else, right, is kind of man-made. But for me, it's like, I see that with kids where I'm like, okay, I don't know whoever God is to you, whatever that's, it's, it's whatever you want. All I know is, is like when I had kids, like this kind of love that I don't need, my, when I tell my kids I love them, I don't care if they say they love me back. Yeah. It's not, a, I don't, I, you can love me or not love me. I, for some reason, was given 
I was give, you were given to me. You're, right. My children are the only people in my life I didn't choose. That, like they, they, they were chosen for me. I don't know what happened. I had unprotected sex and then <laughs> I was given this spirit and I'm like, holy shit, like this is love. It's from like this higher power. I can't explain it. Everybody yeah. else I'm choosing, but yeah. not them. They were, they were given to me. They were chosen for me by something. So with this love, I'm like, oh, this is like this power yeah. of love. And I can't even, you know, sometimes with things like you can't even articulate them. It's just like a feeling. I'm like, oh, that is like the first kind of selfless feeling, truly selfless feeling I had was when I became a parent. And I think that's when Liz from the Comedy Cellar says, oh, he went from kind of zero to nothing. I think I was being you know, subconsciously motivated by that. I was like, oh, it's not about me anymore. Now it's yeah. like all those ideas that were half-baked in the back of your head, they need to come out now. And you know, you see like, it really is that like thing that you know our grandmothers have told us for years is like sink or swim. Yeah. And I really do think like, you know, a guy get to me, it's like I judge a person by how they fail. I mean, yeah. that that's when I did David Letterman and the way it works for when you do Letterman any late night set, especially in the beginning, especially when you have no credits, is they will come and watch you. The bookers, not David Letterman, the people David Letterman has hired to book his show will come and watch you at different comedy clubs, mm -hmm. right? So they're doing the David Letterman showcase show. I'm not on it again. I was just hanging out there because I was doing the next show and I wanted to watch the showcase. So at the end of the show, the last Letterman comic who was showcasing goes up, they had 10. They still had about 15 minutes left of showtime, so they have to drop the checks. Yeah. And if you, you know, people at home don't know, the check spot is notoriously very difficult. It's literally waiters and waitresses dropping the checks on the comedy club. Nobody is listening to you. Yeah. Nobody. It's so hard. And you are literally performing in front of a crowded cafeteria and nobody cares. <laughs> so Lewis goes, you need to go fill the check spot. I said, the Letterman people are there. He oh. goes, they don't, exactly. And he didn't, was no hate in his heart because I was brand new. Right. I was two, three years in. He goes, yeah. they don't care about you. They're oh. not watching you. So he <laughs> was like, just go up there and do it. So I say, okay. They don't care about you. Yeah. So again, I'm always thinking, especially oh. much, especially early on in my comedy career, I was always had my dad's words in my head. Not so much anymore, but I got to retrain myself. But I was like, out, control the effort, control the effort, control the effort. So I go up there. And I just start, you know, you have to be clean to get on Letterman, yeah. but I'm like, they don't care about me, so I'm just gonna start doing my comedy. I was doing comedy about how my thumbs were flexed in and how I, you know, my hands look like Tostito scoop chips and I'm doing <laughs> jokes about like, you know, I think I might've had an eating an ass joke in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, my, and I'm just going out there, I'm doing crowd work, fucking around. And I start hearing them start to listen to me a little bit. Not crazy, but they're listening. Yeah. And then I see, and then I see one of the bookers yeah. go like this put his head and start mm, looking at mm. me. And I was like, oh shit. You know, I had a flashback to that a couple of years later when I did the comedy cellar and I saw Gnome started looking at me. I flashed back to Letterman because that, that had happened already. And I was like, oh shit, this guy's looking at me. So I do what I think at the time is one some of my better jokes. So anyway, go, don't hear anything, couple of days, of course. But I was like, you know, whatever. I did the best I could. Yeah. Then I had a manager at the time. He calls me. And he says, hey, the Letterman people want you to come back. He goes, they did a showcase of 10 people. You're the only one they want to come back. I said, I didn't even, I cursed. I had, <laughs> they were like, they like, they said you had likability. Yeah, so yeah. they want you to come in now with whatever six minutes, five, six minutes of squeaky clean material you got, they want to see it. So I said, I don't really have that. He said, well, you need to start thinking about it. <laughs> and he said, you need to start thinking about it. Great. Because they want to start to <laughs> you see. Need to they start thinking about that. They want to see you. So I said, "Well, what do you think I should do?" He goes, "Talk about your family." I didn't have any material about my family. He this was, is crazy. He was. I swear to on God, on like a week's notice, like about a maybe a week, ten days later. Wow. He goes. He goes. Talk about your family. Talk about your dad. I never talked about my dad. Wow. Talk about your dad. And so I was like, okay, you know what, man? Go to all these open mics. Yeah. All these friends you have. Do it. So I go. I put together a set. It goes okay, you know, yeah. they're like, come back next week, right? So then I start crafting the set and then it starts to become like a pretty strong set and it's getting like real laughs in front of them, like real laughs. Like one time I even got like an applause break and I was like, oh my God, but I'm never getting booked, never. Yeah. They're not booking me. This goes on for like three months, never getting booked every week. It was like a part of my ritual. Wednesdays, they would come see me at Caroline's and I would just do this. Really? I swear to God, because you know- The Letterman the, people. Because the, the Letterman's not that far from Caroline's. Right. So they would just come and watch. So they're watching, keep coming, right? I'm, I'm not getting booked. So finally, it's a slow night at Caroline's. 
you know, whatever, 20, 30 people in the crowd, same thing, do the set for them, bombed, like a full zero, Yeah, bombed. But I did the set, just yeah. did it. Manager calls me the next day. He goes, what happened last night? That's how he starts the combo. <laughs> he goes, what happened last night? And I said, I said, man, I bombed hard. I said, it was the crowd. There's 20 people from whatever, Sweden. I said, I would assume that's it. I said, but at least, you know, maybe they'll keep me in mind for something in the future or whatever. He goes, no, I meant what happened because they just called me and said, you're booked. Oh my God. And I was like, what? He goes, you're booked, man. You are booked for next Thursday. And I was like, what? And he was like, they said they, you're in. And so I was like, he was like, you gotta go get a suit. So I went to Suffolk County, Long Island and I got a suit off the rack from Joseph A. Bank. <laughs> <laughs> if you go look at this suit, it's literally two sizes too big. I look like I'm wearing football <laughs> shoulder pads, but that's the suit I went out in. And so I go out there and I do the set and it, 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 I felt like very like locked in, you know, it was, it, it went well. And then when I got off, I said to the bookers, they were like, great job, you know, all, you know, great, congrats on the first thing, whatever, gave me the signed cue cards from Letterman. I was like, this is amazing. And I just said to him, I said, you know, I have to ask, I said, why did you wait till booking me after that show last week? And that guy, Alex, great guy, he was like, well, we needed to make sure that you could fail professionally. Oh. That's all we were looking for is how do you face adversity? We know what you could do when it's going well, but they were like, we don't know who, you know, nobody knows you. This is your first set, first ever TV credit. What if it didn't go your way and you imploded? He was like, cause you, you got no laughs last week. <laughs> but he said, you, I could not tell that you were bombing. It looked like all the other You're times and that's all we needed to see. He said, we called David as soon as we left and said, he's in. That's an incredible story. Because they saw me fail. So I always remember that. It's key. Yeah. It's a key thing. You gotta just do the show regardless of the condition. Because you don't know. Yeah, you don't know. It goes back to like, just control, you know, whatever, control your effort. If you're doing the best you can, whatever that means to you, then really what else is there for you to decide? So when you did the this, this stuff about your dad, I mean, the thing that really blew your you up was the, the stuff about your dad with 9-11. Yeah. Which is kind of a famous story now. Right. I'm gonna paraphrase to not so as to not make you do it, but you can correct me, but it's sure. basically like 9-11, <laughs> you get in a fight with somebody at school, you're in school, you get kicked out of school, your dad comes in and essentially threatens the principal and then you're readmitted in school. Is yep. that the gist that's of it? That's it, that's it because I thought my mom was dead because she worked in the World Trade Center. And, and so in the second tower though, like, so she survived, yeah. but all boy Catholic high school, my immediate reaction when the teacher came in and said, boys, we're under attack, two planes just hit the towers. So that's all boy Catholic high school, which is a breeding ground for firemen, cops, West Point. There was no like, well, this could be, they were like, we're under attack. Dude, right. The United States is under attack. And so it hit me like with so much emotion and I was just thought about my mom and I immediately, you know, we would all smuggle our cell phones in the class, try to call her, it's phones not, it's not even going through because right. everybody was trying to call that day. So I just started to cry. And then a kid, you know, again, we're all boys, just starts laughing at me. So I just broke my chair right over his head. I just took <laughs> the, you know, and so that story though, if you look at it, Chris Stefano 9-11 story, the version that went viral and that, you know, kind of people, know me for in some circles was the version that I always wanted to do was the unedited raw version. Cause I had told that same story yeah. on my Comedy Central hour special the year before, but due to certain things, I had to cut this word, cut that, edit this, edit that, because you know how it is, it's Viacom and whatever. It's no, the Comedy Central people did what they had to do, but it didn't go anywhere. Yeah. Nobody cared. It wasn't until I actually did it at the Comedy Cellar raw, I did it for the room. So yeah. I did it actually on 9-11 in 2019. Oh, you did it in 9-11. That was September 11th, the day I filmed that. Oh my gosh. So I felt like nobody was addressing the elephant in the room, which was it's 9-11, it's a somber day. You know, we're in West Village, you could see the, the Freedom Towers Tower, right? Yeah, and yeah. then the, right, the old tower, sure. So I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna go up there and I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna, just raw, for the room, yeah. I'm, doing this, I'm doing this set for the room. Yeah. And so I was like, I'm just gonna start talking about it. And then right away started to like release the tension. I was like, well, now I'm going to tell the story. And I knew it was something because Liz 
and then all the waiters and waitresses were all stopped in the corner yeah. and watching and other comics start to come down and watch. And I was like, oh shit. And then as soon as I got off stage, Liz was like, you need to, I'm gonna send you this tape. You need to put that shit on the internet right now. <laughs> and I was hesitant. Cause I was like, no, no, no. I was like, I, I can't put something. I was like, this was for this room. And he, she was like, stop. You need to put that shit out now. Wow. I think it's gonna heal people. That's gonna help people who lost someone in 9-11. You can use proceeds from whatever that makes on YouTube to go to a 9-11 foundation. There's a million things you could do. You need to put that out. She was yeah. like, that's gonna make people happy. Yeah. And it's interesting, put it out and it started to go viral right away. And that story, what I really took from it was, I just did exactly what I wanted to do and the way I wanted to do it, raw, unedited. Yeah. And that's the thing that people responded to. Working It Out is supported by Squarespace. Squarespace is an all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. I should point out that this is an ad for Squarespace, but I love Squarespace. I was thrilled when they became an advertiser because we've used them for years. Our website for Thank God for Jokes was Squarespace. Our website for Stand Up and Vote was Squarespace. Couldn't recommend it more highly. We use it all the time. Start a completely personalized website with the new guided design system, Squarespace Blueprint. You can sell exclusive content on your site by adding a paywall to sell memberships or courses, or sell files your customers can download like PDFs, music, or eBooks. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, head to squarespace.com slash burbigs, B-I-R-B-I-G-S, to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com slash burbigs to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Support for Mike Burbiglia's Working It Out comes from Helix Sleep. Helix has been with this podcast from the very beginning. We are huge Helix mattress fans over here. Let me tell you a few things that are great about Helix Sleep mattresses. They are fiberglass free. Unlike other brands, Helix mattresses do not contain fiberglass, which can be harmful to your health. As you may have seen in the news or on social media, there have been a number of health issues and lawsuits related to fiberglass and mattresses. You know, actually, I used to, I used to have a mattress that was pure fiberglass. It was just, it was literally a bed of fiberglass. No longer. I sleep on Helix mattresses, which are fiberglass-free. Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash burbigs that's helixsleep.com slash burbigs this is their best offer yet and it won't last long with helix better sleep starts now no now with your dad the way you depict him in the 9-11 story is pretty aggressive mm-hmm was he always like that? No, he was aggressive more when be, when I was younger. Yeah. And mainly before I was born, had like a gambling issue and all that stuff that's all been corrected now. You know, the, the thing like about him, his character, right, that I've created is, it's a bit of an amalgamation between other people in my life, but the real part of it is my parents got divorced, right? So when I was one, like immediately divorced, right? Because I get it, I get it. My dad is, I love hanging out with my dad, but I, even me as a kid, I was like, I fully get my mom had to divorce you. I mean, you're fucking nuts. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's great, it's great. But you know, giving me hot dogs, sodas, taking me to the racetrack. So like fun shit for kids, but like obviously a woman was like, well, I'm not gonna commit my life to this man. But he is the kid's father, so so <laughs> take me to the racetrack. Oh yeah, he take me, and, he would, and he, I swear to God, people think I make this is not a bit. He would take me to the racetrack, we'd gamble on the horses, and then he'd be like, "Chrissy, what do I tell? What are we going to tell mom?" I'm like, "We went to the zoo, oh exactly. Oh went to God. the zoo." So he would be like, "So I would tell my mom I went to the zoo all the time," and so and she believed, you know, she had no no reason to question until he always would tell me when we would go to church, St. Matthias Church in Ridgewood, where I grew up, you could go right. The, the church was kind of like at the top of a triangle. So you could go right and get there or left and get there. Yeah. My father always told me, go right. When you go with your mother, you go right to the church. That's the better way to go. 
because if I went left, I would walk past the OTB racetrack where he would always take me in to, <laughs> and gamble and hang with his friends. And there was, these lowlifes would just sit outside and smoke cigarettes and drink beers and shit. Oh yeah, shit. those places are they cautionary. Knew, they knew who I was. So yeah. my mom, my dad was like, I don't want you walking with your mother past these guys because oh, if they find out that I take you in there, I'm gonna get in trouble. So one day, I don't know why, I, I think I was actually on my Game Boy. So it's like kind of same way I were distracted by phones. It's like, you've, we've always been distracted. I was distracted by my Game Boy yeah. walking. I don't even realize we're going left. And all of a sudden I hear one of my dad's friends, Bobby go, Chrissy. And I was like, looked up. And then my mother grabbed me. She was like, how do you know that man? Cause oh he looked God. like borderline homeless. He was like, I'll see you in here this weekend. Oh my God. And then, so, <laughs> and then so my mom was like, have you been going in there with your father? And I was like, you know, like no. And she was like, have you been going in there with your father? And I'm like, no, mom, well once, but it wasn't a big deal. And so then I, you know, we go to church and my mom is just calls him and is just fucking ripping him. And I'm like, oh shit. So my dad puts me on the phone. He goes, what happened? I was like, well, I, I you know, I went the wrong way. <laughs> he goes, listen, he goes, one part of me wants to yell at you for, you know, ratting me out. He goes, but the other part of me doesn't want to yell at you. He was like, because you did the right thing. You came clean. You told, <laughs> he goes, you, you came clean. He goes, but you know, you gotta understand we can't go in there anymore. And he goes, and you know, some of the things that we do, like I love you and hang, you know, but he was like, we can't go and do those things anymore. And I, cause I used to have a lot of fun. He's like, you know, mom said we can't do those things anymore. And I said, yeah. And then I remember my mom telling him, she's like, he was like, you need to, you need to go get help. Like you're a gambler, you need to go get help. Gamblers Anonymous, whatever. And then he went and to his credit, he went, yeah. fixed his problem. And it's like a, and it's, and it's, it's interesting because his big thing was sports gambling. So I'm a guy, you know, I constantly, not constantly, there have been times where I've been offered like, hey, do you want to do an ad, you know, be like a, right. do, a, do a, a voice for, for draft gambling things thing. or yeah, gambling, yeah. you know, you're, you're the Brooklyn guy and you, you want to, and my dad's always thing was, he was like, I never, ever, ever want you to even learn about sports gambling. Wow. I don't want you to know what a spread means. I don't want you to know what the VIG is. So all my friends who are doing this gambling every weekend of football, yeah. it's like genuinely a foreign language, those in cards. Like if you could put out a deck of cards in front of me right now, I would have no idea what spades or clubs, I don't know, because that was his one promise to me. He was, like, I, he was like, I really don't even care if you do heroin. Just do not, do not get involved in gambling. It ruined my life. So it, you know, he's a bad advice about heroin, though. Yes, true. Yeah, I know. <laughs> he's wrong. He's wrong. Yeah, heroin's really bad. <laughs> I know. All right, I'm, I'll make a note. Be, it needs to be me telling you yes. right now. Yes. Do not try heroin. Yeah. Take the syringe out. <laughs> um, Do you have anything with your kids where you're trying to reverse what your relationship was with your parents? So, yes, one thing that I think I'll one again. It's my very good parents. My mom is a great woman. She's a very anxious woman. So one thing that I highlighted about her that affected me subconsciously was almost anything I ever wanted to do from playing basketball to doing comedy to getting a different kind of haircut to any time I took a chance, she would always be like, do you really think you should be doing that, Christopher? Is that really actually what you wanna do? It was always like a sense of like, you're not, I'm, I'm not sure about this as your mother, so you shouldn't be sure about this either. It wasn't like, you know what? Follow your heart, follow your dreams. It was always like, I don't know about that, honey. I don't know if comedy is a good idea. It was always that, yeah. and that affected me. It came from a place of love. Her non-believing in me, even in the beginning with comedy, they did not believe. That's the one thing you know, as you know, like when you go to follow your dream, especially something like comedy, the people who are the closest to you are the ones who will believe in you the least. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. only because they love you the most. They so, want stability for you. That's all they want. They just want you to be safe. So, so that's gonna come off to you though, as I don't believe in you. Yeah. So that hurt me. I don't me. think you're good. I don't think you're funny. I don't think you're talented. But it's really them just saying, I love you so much. I don't want you to get hurt. So I'm very, very conscious of now when my daughters, my-, my, my Your one is two. eight. One is eight, one is two. two. But I also have a 13 year old stepson. So my okay. 13 year old stepson and my eight year old daughter, when they wanna do anything, as long as it's safe, when they wanna do anything, I support them right away. Like just today, there was a big argument in the house because it was dress down day. And my daughter literally, listen, she was dressed like a mailman. She looked like, <laughs> she looked like she worked. Somehow she, it wasn't US mailman. Right, postal it wasn't service, USPS. But she literally, she's girl, she wanted to go dress down day. She looked like a full blown, she looked like a, uh, she looked like a, a, a little boy mailman. And you know, my wife is like, 
you know, if they're arguing up there, I don't, I don't want you, I want you to wear this or whatever. So I went up there and I said, look, I pulled Jazz out to the side. I said, look, I'm on your side. I am always on your side. Mm. I said, we have to give her a win. We have to give Aww. Delilah a win. I said, let her express herself. She's like, yeah, but the kids are gonna make fun of her. I said, good, then we, yeah. then she'll learn. This will be a great learning yeah. day. If they make fun of her, I said, you know what's gonna happen? Maybe they make fun of her. I got confidence. Her father's a professional comedian. She has comebacks. Number one, I said. Number number two, <laughs> come back. Uh, number two, I'll, 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 try my daughter. She yeah, fucking yeah. rip you, dude. She watches Anthony Jeselnik, so she'll rip you. So David Tell, Jeff Ross, and I said. But the other the other thing that could happen, 50-50 chance, is they look at her as the coolest kid ever, and then they start to follow in her footsteps. Yeah, I was like, let her take a chance. And I, it's funny you're bringing this up because just this morning. Six hours ago, I was like, Jazz, remember when I told you like my mom like never believed in me and never would like, like, I don't wanna do this to Delilah. Like, let's just let her go out. Like, she'll be happy today. Went out, I swear, it was like, uh, it was like a, a, a blessing. I'm so happy. We were a little late. We we're like five minutes late for school. So normally like, you know, the kids are just going in, but when you're late, you have to ring the bell. So we ring the bell and a teacher came to open up the, the door. Her, and I was like, oh, hey, I'm, you know, I'm here with Delilah. And she was like, okay, she goes, come. And she goes, whoa, cool outfit, sweetie. <laughs> and then Delilah turned around and gave me a thumbs up. And I was like, you see, like, I'm happy that I did that. And I know that my mom wouldn't have done that. And it's not, it's nobody's right or wrong. It's just, she would have been like, I don't want my kid to get made fun of yeah. at all. Where I'm taking the opposite approach. I'm saying, be who you are and you're gonna learn now, like what an amazing adult you'll be if we've allowed you to express yourself as a child, you're gonna be bulletproof yeah. by, the by the time you're an adult with, I hope. So I try to think about that. I'm yeah. trying to do the best I, like I can to educate myself on being a parent because my mom and dad were great parents truly, but there were no books back then. There was no internet back then. They were just kind of- There were books. Right, but do you think my dad can read? <laughs> <laughs> Between heroin and the books, yes. you got some. Yeah. You got, we got to fact check you on some of this stuff. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> heroin's bad, and there were books when you were growing yes. up. I lived in a different world, man. <laughs> Where did you grow up? <laughs> All right, so this is called the slow round. Um, what's the What's the worst you've ever bombed? Um, the worst I've ever bombed at the Comedy Cellar in ever, general. Ever. Okay. So in general, I bombed so hard once at when I, so again, taking it back to Caroline's. Caroline's Comedy Club is just where I was yeah. when I was in the beginning. I rest mean, in okay. peace. Rest in peace. R.I.P. R.I.P. Yeah. The Caroline's Comedy Club, they really treated me great. I, I love the people there. I always, you know, remember them for how much opportunity they gave me. And, and so- I used to open up for, I was the, I was, you know, the MC, man. I would go in there and I would just open up for whoever was there. They, you know, I would do it. And one of the guys was um, Angel Salazar. Oh yeah. So Angel. Shake it out. Shake I opened it. for him in Cleveland once. He walks out and goes, shake it out, Cleveland. <laughs> shake it out. That's his catchphrase. And his closer is he winds up getting into like, you know, black leather underwear with right. like a whip. Yes. Right. Classic. Yes. So he, and by the way, I mean, he's in like, Classic films from like the Scarface. 80s. He's in Scarface. So that, that that's been his credit for like thirty five <laughs> years. So that's why I'm bringing it up because he's known as the Scarface comic. So he gets a lot of mafia guys or oh, wow. kind of wise guys that will come to his shows. Yeah. So I open for him, right? And then these wise guys kind of you know talking to him after and like, ah, oh, you were pretty good too, kid. And I'm like, oh, thanks. So like they tell Angel, they say, listen, next week. We got a, a party at a restaurant in Queens. I think it was called like Scoon Spinelli's. Sure. Spinelli's or something. It doesn't matter, something. right? Yeah, Scoongeelis. <laughs> and so and so and so he goes, we want to Angel. They're like, you know, we want to come down, you know, like we want you to perform. The restaurant's open. It's just just the guys and their wives, right? So he's like, okay, hey, I'll be there. And then and then the guy says, and bring this kid, bring him. Bring, bring this, kid. this kid. So that's so, so funny. I swear to God. So, <laughs> bring this kid. So Angel goes. How I, old were you? Twenty nine. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So twenty eight. So Angel goes. He goes. Tells me when they leave. He goes. Okay. He goes. You come. He goes. I'll give you twenty dollars. I was like, okay. I mean, I'm pretty sure he just said he was going to give you like five thousand dollars in cash. But I was like. <laughs> So I'm pretty sure he just said he's gonna give you five thousand dollars in cash. I, I'm almost positive that's what he said. <laughs> and so he's like, I give you twenty dollars. <laughs> but what position was I? And I was like, all right, I'll be there. <laughs> so, <laughs> so 
I go, I get to this restaurant, right? And uh, it's like a back room of an Italian restaurant in Queens. Like, you know, it's, it's what you think of it. It's, yes, it's, it's, I've played these before. Right. It's hard. It's hard. There's no stage, you know, there's yeah. a microphone with like, you know, a speaker that they bought at Best Buy. Like it's nothing professional. There's no yeah. light. <laughs> and it's just these guys sitting around with their wives in suits, just whatever, hanging out. No introduction. The guy says, you know, who booked the show says, go up there, right? <laughs> So these guys are getting their food and their pastas and their cakes, right? So I go up there and I'm, you know, f bombing hard, yeah. right? I'm bombing like you can't right. imagine. No laughs, basically. I mean, zero, nobody cares. You know, people being like, you know, what? Like, what is this? Like, yeah, what yeah, 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 yeah. What? Yeah, yeah. I can't hear you like that. Yeah. So bombing. So I start to go into a little bit of crowd work, right? I was doing crowd work before. It was cool. <laughs> and so, so, so I started to go into a little bit of crowd work. Where you ask the audience, where are you from? What do you do for a living? That kind that. of thing. So I make, I don't actually now remember what I said, but I talk some guys, you know, mafia guy's wife. I said something to her, like to the effect of like, you know, how's it with this guy? Like, you know, kind of make it fun of the husband. And then they weren't laughing, but there was some energy in there. And then I felt the energy come out like that. And I even saw the guy who booked the show look. I see people looking at, at the man I just spoke to. And then I see him just staring at me, <laughs> like just fully staring at me. And then there was a guy sitting behind him who was with him. Like it was this guy, his wife, and then a third guy who was a part of their table, but sitting a little bit back. I come later to find out the man who I had offended was one of like the local mob bosses there. It was this, it, it was his muscle. And this was one of these guys. I don't know if you've ever seen these guys. You could see his muscle definition through his suit. Yeah. And, you know, head like a Frankenstein head. And so I swear to God, I go, uh, I'm going to bring up Angel Salazar. I'm going to bring up Angel Salazar. And I swear to God, there's no energy, like nothing. <laughs> Like no music, nothing. And you hear Angel coming out and goes, check it out, check it out. Like, you know how he does, walking, right? With his fucking, check it out. With like a boom box, yes. right? Doesn't he come out with a yes. boom box? Yeah. He's like, check it out, going out. And people are just like looking at him and they're, they're still kind of like looking at this guy. I had no idea who I offended. So I'm walking and I'm about five feet from the door and the muscle guy grabs me, like grabs me yeah. by my shoulder and puts his elbow in my chest and he goes, you thought that was funny? And I was like, I'm sorry, man, I'm just like doing comedy. He goes, you thought that was funny? And I swear to God, pulls out a knife. No. I swear, the tip of a knife is at my throat. He goes, how, about, how funny would it be if I cut your Adam's apple out and fed it to your mother? I was like, <laughs> I don't know if that's appetizing, but <laughs> I was like, it's a direct quote. And I was like, okay, that's a little strange. But I said, you know, I was like paralyzed with fear. The owner of the restaurant says to the guy, goes, put the fucking knife. What are you, stupid? Put the knife down. And he goes, this guy just made fun of Johnny. He goes, put the fucking <laughs> knife down. So the guy puts a knife down and he goes, I ever see here again, you're fucking dead. Oh my God. <laughs> so I'm like, okay. So then the owner takes, he puts his arm around my shoulder. He takes me through the kitchen. Okay, because the door was right here. He takes me through the kitchen. And then he takes me down these stairs. There was like an office down there. I swear, I swear to God, when I'm walking down the stairs, I'm like, this is it. Like, I'm like, he's, I'm gonna get killed, like whatever. He goes, I'm fucking sorry about that guy. Oh my God. He goes, listen, he goes, he's a wannabe, okay? Oh my God. <laughs> he goes, he's a wannabe. He goes, the bottom line is a real guy, you would have been done. Oh my God. He goes, they're wannabes. He goes, here's the thing, right? He goes, what, what, what did they say we were paying you tonight? I said, uh, Angel said about $20. He goes, Pfft. He goes, all right. He goes, listen, you're gonna keep your mouth shut? You don't see anything, nothing you saw here, you're not gonna tell anybody? I said, no. He goes, let me give you some money. Pulls out a wad of cash. He gave me like $1,500 in cash, just bang on the table. I had maybe you know $180 in my bank account, 1,500 in cash. He goes, that's from us, don't tell anybody anything. Just beat it. So I took the money, right? I'm like shaking up, like, cause I'm like, what the fuck? Took the money, left, got out of there. I was like looking over my shoulder. And then I call my father. Cause my dad is again, like more soft, not from that, you know, uh, uh, not that kind of guy by this time he was more soft, but he still like has some of it in yeah, him. And, like, he grew you know, up in that. Universe. He grew up in it. So, and he's never frazzled by anything. If I would have told my mother, you know, uh, this almost happened. Oh my God, call the police. 
So I said, dad, you know, I just did a gig. You know, like it was horrible. Like I bombed and then I pissed somebody's wife off, I think. I said, and then the guy put a knife to my throat. He goes, whoa, whoa. He goes, uh, what kind of knife? And I was like, I don't know why that's relevant at all. I said, I, I, I don't know. It was, a, it was a steak knife. He goes, all right. He goes, what'd you say? I was like, I, I really don't know. I was like, I made fun of like his wife, uh, made fun of the guy to his wife. He's like, you can't do that. He said, where were you? I said, I'm at like this new restaurant like that's just opening. It's like their soft opening in Queens. He was like, where? I was like, Leffert's Boulevard. He goes, Johnny? And I said, yeah, Johnny. That's the guy I pissed off. He goes, no. He goes, that guy, he's fucking, he's a local little guy. He was like, that guy wasn't gonna fucking do anything to you. He goes, don't worry about it. Go home. Everything's fine. He goes, I think I know somebody in that area. Nothing's gonna happen. He goes, but just don't tell anybody about this. And at that time, I had no platform to tell anybody about this until now. Wow. <laughs> Your worst bombing story is an assault. Yes. yes. <laughs> it's a bonafide yeah. assault. Yes. Oh, yeah. But you know what my father told me back then? He goes, well, what are you going to do tomorrow? And I said, uh, I don't know, I guess go to work. I guess I'll go. I was a physical therapist. I, I, I said, I, I guess I'll go to work and like go see a movie. He goes, no. He goes, you're going to go to work and you're going to go right back on stage. Yeah. He was like, you get right back up there. Come on. He goes, do you think anything worse can happen to you than what happened to you tonight? Exactly. I was like, I mean, I guess he could have killed me, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and he was like, go right back on stage. And that's what I did. But that, that is a bombing story. It taught me a little bit to be like, hey, be careful who you fuck with, you know? But now I, th I probably at that time was a little bit more abrasive than yeah. I realized. Yeah. But now with experience, like I would know now, I wouldn't kind of highlight, this guy's not laughing at anything, you'd, so don't fuck with yeah, him. Yeah, you'd read the room a little bit. Read, well, I didn't know how to do that. No, I was course. just nervous. Yeah. That, wow. Yeah. Have you done that on stage? No. You gotta do that on stage. Mm. Come on. Yeah. I, I mean, I have, I have a mobster story where I insulted some mobsters and realized that they almost were gonna kill me at a casino yeah. in Connecticut. Years ago, Mohegan Sun. It's not half as good as that story. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the guy's threatened to kill me, literally right. threatened to kill me, but there's no knife to my neck. Yeah. Your shit has high stakes. Yep. Really high stakes. Real shit. Working It Out is supported by Squarespace. Squarespace is an all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. I should point out that this is an ad for Squarespace, but I love Squarespace. I was thrilled when they became an advertiser because we've used them for years. Our website for Thank God for Jokes was Squarespace. Our website for Stand Up and Vote was Squarespace. Couldn't recommend it more highly. We use it all the time. Start a completely personalized website with the new guided design system, Squarespace Blueprint. You can sell exclusive content on your site by adding a paywall to sell memberships or courses, or sell files your customers can download like PDFs, music, or eBooks. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, head to squarespace.com slash burbigs, B-I-R-B-I-G-S, to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com slash burbigs to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Support for Working It Out comes from Viore. Viore is a clothing company that draws inspiration from the coastal California lifestyle. I was thrilled that they were willing to be a sponsor because I could just talk about how soft and comfortable their clothing is all the time. I mean, I'll read the stuff they told me to say. It's uh, It inspires others to live vibrant, healthy lives. Yeah, sure. Yeah, it does that. But also, my experience is it's very, very comfortable. Viore offsets 100% of their carbon footprint. And since 2019, they've also offset 100% of their plastic footprint. Viore is an investment in your happiness. For our listeners, they're offering 20% off. Ooh, that's good. Your first purchase. Get yourself some of the most comfortable, versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash burbigs. That's viore.com slash burbigs. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping. What? Free shipping on any U.S. orders over 75 bucks and free returns. That's viore.com slash Burbigs, discover the versatility of Viore clothing. All right, a couple of um, new jokes I have, and okay. I don't know if they're anything. I've been trying, I, I 
done this a few times on stage, but when you're when you're married, people always are like, "How do you like marriage?" And I'm, I think it's a very general question for a specific personal experience. I feel like saying like, "I like my wife. I'd hate to be married to your wife. That seems awful. You know, that seems like a debacle. This is going well. You got sort of a gas station McDonald's. I got a freestanding Ruby Tuesdays. <laughs> <laughs> Ruby Tuesdays is a good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I've been trying to get that to work because, and and maybe as a lar- as a, as a as a jumping off point into the specificity of life and existence, which right. is like people always ask you general, how's your life going? How's this going? How's your wife? How's your wife? How's your marriage? Blah, blah. And it's like, well, it's, you couldn't possibly answer. Right. Yeah, you know be- what I mean? Because there's so many, that's such a loaded question because it's like, yes, I am very happy and feeling fortunate, but it's also like, you know, there's a, there's a stress-induced thing. Every, I mean, just getting my kids to the, to the school on time is like a full-on like race. My blood pressure might be 250 over 150 yeah. in those 10-minute spans, but like the rest of the day is pretty good. No, I had the same thing this week. Jen sprained her ankle and was, yeah. you, you know, my daughter has some version of the flu where it's creating pain all over her body. She can't really walk. My dad's in the hospital, he has a stroke. Yeah. All and people are like, how's your life? And I'm like, it's pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's know? pretty good. I'm doing my best. Like yeah. most, a lot of my day is like pure hell. Yeah. And then you have a moment where you're like reading a book for 45 minutes. Yeah. Like, oh, this is nice. Yeah. yeah. I'm in my home with my family. Dude, it, it's like one of those things where it's like, listen, you know, people don't, you know, can't have kids or whatever, I, you know, feel for them. But like, if you don't have children, if you're like, you know, oh, in your 30s or 40s and you don't have kids, fine, whatever you want to do. But you got to understand like you're living, living such a radically different life than me, like I, I remember there was a time, my friend, no kids, he'll call me sometimes and like go on and on and on about his life's problems, which I'm at times like happy to deal with, but a lot of times like, dude, I got the kids, like, dude, I don't know, you're 40 years old, you gotta just figure this shit out, I can't help you, dude. Yeah. You, you have all day to think. That's a tricky one. Yeah, I remember there was a guy, he was like, he was like really needed help, like life advice, and I'm talking to him, giving him my time, and then I looked over and my seven-year-old just was thinking it was funny, cause she didn't realize that it was on, she was sticking her foot in the Nutribullet. <laughs> and I was like. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. So I had to dive oh and unplug. God. the Nutribullet and you know oh my god yes like I, what I'm literally giving this fucking idiot like he quit his job because he like you right. know, listened to podcasts about being an entrepreneur and I'm like dude I don't know you had a good job working for UPS my kids are gonna cut their toes off oh. like you have to figure this shit out <laughs> You gotta do this a bit. Okay. Have you done that on stage? No, that's more new. Okay. I thought we were in the new okay. joke yeah, part. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. That's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you have a very unique ability in relationship to like who you are off stage and who you are on stage to play those against each other in a way that like bobs and weaves with right. the crowd. So in other words, like like today we're having like a relatively real conversation about like uh, you know our parents and our kids and our wives and all this stuff, and it's like. And then you can go into you know, a completely absurd <laughs> bit about the mafia for <laughs> yeah. opening for Angel's House or whatever. And then you can come back to, yeah. you know, all we have is this moment right now. And this is what we is what I care about. Let me tell you what I care about. And then also this other stuff happened. Right. And I think you have a unique, as a comic and a person, you have a unique ability to like do both of those things. Well, that's why I told you when I texted you, I was watching your show in, I was in Phoenix and I'm so inspired by your work because I'm like, you know, the thing that I, I know that you know about yourself is you know that the funny is coming. You, you <laughs> will start with something that is very deep when you're talking about your diabetes or you know when you think you're, we're gonna die. And it's like this, this heavy thing that, even somebody like me at this point in my career would be like, I gotta have a joke right now. I gotta have a joke right now. Yeah. You don't, you like keep going. And you're like, no, 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 I'm gonna keep drawing them in. And then boom, there's always something, like you rely on like that gift that you have, which is just find the funny, because I'm still at a point where I wanna do what you're doing. I really do, I like, I keep telling, I wanna do that, but I'm like, joke every five seconds, joke every five seconds kind of thing, you know? Right, I mean, a lot of it is from the last two specials, it's like things in my journal that are definitively not funny when I write them down. Wow. You know what I mean? It's like the, my journaling really follows the, 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 the paradigm of uh, the comedy is tragedy plus time. Like I write my journal when I'm uh, sad, when I'm angry, when I feel terrible about something. And then I'll look at it like three months later, six months later, and I'll be like, that's actually pretty funny. Because that, part, that part of it resolved and... We actually came to an agreement about this thing. But you're like, not intentionally writing to be funny. You're just no. writing down your thoughts. Yeah. Wow. 
That's cool. Yeah, so it's, li- it's literally the experience. And I actually, it's a good reminder for me to do it because I've, I've actually had a really, really hard month. And it's and uh, between like some stuff with my folks and stuff that's been really, really hard. Right. I have to remind myself, it's a good reminder now to, to do that. Right. Because if I don't do it, like that's the gym for me. Right. Like right. writing my journal is going to the gym. Right. You should go hard. to the actual gym though. You think you're saying that staring at my at my body, my upper no, you torso? Look good, actually. <laughs> no, you look good. No, you should go to the gym. <laughs> no, but like if you want to go to the gym, I could get you in the gym. No, I'm telling you, you should go to the gym. I could get you into the gym. <laughs> no, you actually do. You do look good. The other no. especially you were making fun no. of your weight, but you look better now. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. The uh <laughs> All right, I got one other joke. I've been trying to get this to work, but I sometimes you have jokes. And you're like, I don't know if you have this where you write a joke and you're like, it's too. I, I always heard this about Dangerfield. Like when Rodney Dangerfield was alive, he would go on stage and he would read the joke on a card, oh. and then if it worked, he would memorize it. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. And I was like, oh, that's really smart because he'd write a ton of jokes, right? And he's like, I'm not going to memorize it if it's right. not good. Right. So anyway, I'm gonna read, cool. I'm gonna read you a joke. No matter how, no matter what you do, your children will eventually reject you. One day, I took my daughter to a horseback riding class, and it was like watching her grow up right in front of my eyes, and then mount a horse, and then trot away, and leave me in, in the dust on a horse that I had paid for. And that's the best case scenario. She could have trampled me to death with the horse, and I would have to say thank you, Una, for trampling me with this horse. And my dying <laughs> words would be, "You're doing a great job." <laughs> yeah, and it's just like that to me. I mean, it's it's something that happened, but it's kind of a yeah. metaphor for the whole thing, right? Which is like you're just always failing, right? And you're always like just essentially setting your child up to do something that's gonna like stomp on your own face. Oh yeah, like you just have to accept, like I have to accept in my family, I'm in fourth, fifth place in my own life. Like I just, I wanna be happy for me, I get all that, but it's like, I'll eat last, I'll get dressed last. Yeah. My TV show that I wanna watch will be last. The best thing I think, I think where our reward as parents are gonna be, what I really think is it's kind of like this delayed gratification, right? Like, yes, you know, hopefully they say, love you, daddy, and all that right now. And my kids thankfully do, but it's gonna be that delayed gratification where when they're older, when they don't need us, they'll come back to us and say, I wanna hang out with you. I wanna have dinner with you. I wanna, I want you to, meet my fam- my friends and family. Because sometimes people are like, you know, like you hear those kids that like, you know, they're people in 20s, 30s, like, I don't want to see my mom and dad. Yeah. I don't want to go near them. And I think that's not a failure, but that's like, those, that's got to hurt those parents. And I, I'm, I think about that right now. I'm like, I want my kids to always be like, we, we want to go back and hang with, yeah. with mom and dad. I mean, that's an example of like something you could put in your show as a real sentiment. Right. You know what I mean? Like that's how you really feel about something. And you right. can do a bunch of bits about your daughter's foot being in a blender and yeah. this and that. Yeah. And then you can go back to the idea of like, look, yeah. here's what I really want. Yeah. I just want I just want my, my kids to like <laughs> want to hang out with me when I'm older. I love the idea of like you directing like my new one man show and it's still like the old me, but like I'm trying to go towards the new thing where like I'm having these these beautiful moments you're like he's getting. And then I'll be like, come in the butt. And you'll be like, no, 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 no. Lose that part, not that one. <laughs> So the last thing we do in the show is called yep. Working It Out for a Cause. Is there a nonprofit you like? So the nonprofit that I like the most kind of connected back to the 9-11 story is the Tunnel to Towers. Steven Siller, he was a firefighter. Uh, he died in 9-11. He ran, you know, um, the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel, when you're coming off, when you're going, there's an underpass that right is on the FDR that you kind of come under it and then boom, the towers yeah. are right in front of you. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah, yeah, that, of course. That tunnel right before you get into the battery tunnel, he ran from, I believe, a firehouse that was located in that area through there and got into the building to help people, but then died. Wow. So it's a foundation for him that kind of helps 9-11 victims and you know their, their families and all that. So that's like a, a nonprofit that I love. Well, we're gonna contribute to them. We're gonna link oh, to them in the show notes. And uh, thanks, Chrissy, for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me, my friend. Working it out, cause it's not done. We're working it out, cause there's no That's going to do it for another episode of Working It Out. I love that Christy Stefano, he's on tour now. You can see him all over the world. He'll be in Dubai, for God's sakes. And then Belfast. I mean, that's that's the world, right? You can follow Chris on Instagram at, at ChrisDComedy. And you can watch the full video of this interview on my YouTube channel, at Mike Birbiglia. 
Check that out and subscribe because we're posting more and more videos. It's really fun over there. Check out Burbigs.com. Join the mailing list. Our producers of Working It Out are myself, along with Peter Salomon, Joseph Berbiglia, and Mabel Lewis, associate producer Gary Simons. Sound mix by Shub Sarin, supervising engineer Kate Belinsky. Special thanks to Jack Antonoff and Bleachers for their music. Special thanks to J-Hope Stein, my wife, the poet. Special thanks, of course, to our daughter, Una, who built the original radio fort made of pillows. Thanks most of all to you who are listening. If you enjoy the show, rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. Say which episode is your favorite episode. Tell your friends, tell your enemies. So maybe you, maybe you just performed comedy at an Italian restaurant, let's say. <laughs> and someone in the crowd wasn't a big fan of your material. Maybe they didn't like where it went after the show. They held a knife to your throat. You know, it happens. So Chris, our guest today, he handled it pretty well. But what I suggest is you say to the person, hey, instead of murdering me with that knife, why don't you check out this podcast hosted by comedian Mike Birbiglia. Nah, nah, you don't have to worry about where you know him from. It's called Working It Out. It's where he, he speaks with other comedians and creatives about their creative process. I think you'd enjoy this podcast more than you'd enjoy killing me. Then, while they're putting their earbuds in, you run away. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time. We'll be here working it out.